be looking this morning at Psalm 142. Psalm 142, beginning at verse 1. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. A contemplation of David, a prayer, when he was in the cave. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. My spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. And they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see. For there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, Father, we just again come before you and may rejoice and give thanks for just the great honor and privilege it is to be able to gather together here in the name of Christ to worship you. And even as we come to your word and we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit to give us understanding and insight to this passage, this psalm before us this morning. And may it truly, we truly find great comfort and strength and be encouraged and challenged to truly trust and find our refuge in you. And so we just ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Where do, where do people without God, without Christ, without gospel hope and the assurances and the promises of God's Word, where do they go to find comfort, strength, and rest? in the midst of the various trials and struggles of life that are common to all. Maybe it's the sudden loss of a job, or a broken relationship, or a terminal diagnosis, or, or the tragic and sudden death of a loved one. Where do unbelievers go for comfort during such tragic times? I don't really know. Maybe they have something they turn to. Perhaps there's something good and, and beneficial that they turn to, or perhaps there's something not so good and even something destructive that they turn to. It's hard to imagine how they might cope with such challenges. Maybe some of you know. But there is one thing that we do know, and that is certain is that for the believer in Jesus Christ, 
there is an abundance of hope and assurance that we can have as we face the daily trials and challenges that life brings our way. Jesus, our Savior, has promised that He'd be with us forever, that He'd never leave us nor forsake us. And in fact, the presence of His Spirit is always near as it dwells even in us. We have the comfort and the hope of the many promises of God's Word, which we can call to mind and, and turn to, and we can read them and be strengthened and encouraged by them. And the Lord has provided us with a blessed fellowship of godly ones, other believers, one another in the body of Christ who support and encourage us, so that when one rejoices, we all rejoice with them, and when one weeps, we all weep with them. So these are the significant blessings that the Lord has graciously given to us who believe on Jesus Christ. As we trust in Him, we know that He'll be for us a refuge, a place of safety and comfort as we face these many challenges. But maybe you've experienced times in your life where sometimes, even though you know this comfort is there, That sometimes this comfort and encouragement seems very distant and far away. And it can be for a variety of reasons. And most notably, we know that when we're in sin, that our sin has a way of of driving a wedge between us and the Lord and His, His holiness. Not that He's left us, but we don't sense His presence as near. You see, because our sin has dulled our spiritual senses. And this is why when we go through trials, we should always first examine ourselves to see if there is any offensive way in us, some sin that that maybe is hindering our relationship with the Lord and for which He's bringing loving chastisement upon us that might steer us back to Him. And so that's what those troubles and trials may be. And certainly if we would examine ourselves and if we would find sin in our hearts, then we ought to confess that sin and seek the Lord's mercy for forgiveness and renewal and a restoration to that peace with Him. But certainly, there are other times when trials and challenges come upon us, not because of a specific sin in our lives, but simply because we live in a fallen and sinful world. And we know that Satan, our adversary, is always on the prowl looking for whom he may devour, and he often always has his sights set on the people of God to bring them down. And sometimes these troubles can come so quickly, even one right after another, that we become overwhelmed and we begin to lose sight of our anchor of hope that we have in Christ. Well, this is what David expresses in Psalm 142. He was overwhelmed with trouble. So much so that it was shaking the very foundation of his faith. And then he cries out to the Lord, looking to find refuge in him during the turbulent storm that he was in. Psalm 142 is a psalm which points us back to this comfort and to that comfort that we all have in Christ Jesus. Even when we endure turbulent storms in our lives, we can look back at these promises 
and our refuge in Christ our Savior. As we consider this psalm this morning, we first want to look at what we can glean from the occasion that's mentioned here in the ancient title, a a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. And this tells us that David wrote this psalm most likely during the time of his being pursued by King Saul. Remember, Saul grew jealous of David and the influence that he had, and, uh, and then he suddenly turned against David, who was his once trusted general, and he began to pursue David in order just to kill him. Now, though there may have been numerous times during this period where David was on the run and he hid in caves, well, we only have uh, two uh, instances that are recorded for us. In 1 Samuel 22, where David hides in the cave of Adullam, and then later in 1 Samuel 24, David and his men hide in another cave in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, in both of these instances, Saul was in hot pursuit, and and David's stay in the cave was just relatively short. In 1 Samuel 24, as David is hiding, remember that's the occasion where Saul actually entered into the cave, but didn't know David and his men were there hiding in the darkness. And and David cut a, a piece of Saul's robe, <clears throat> and so this was the first time that Saul fell into David's hand, and, and yet David, not wanting to lift his hand against the Lord anointed, spared Saul's life. And so that was First Samuel 24. But as we read through Psalm 142, it seems that what David describes here fits more closely with the context of David hiding in the cave of Adullam, that we read about in 1 Samuel 22. Now this was a time early on in David's life as a fugitive, and there were only a handful of faithful men who were with him at this time. And again, just before this, David had received word from Jonathan, who was Saul's son, but who was also David's closest friend. And Jonathan had told David that, yes, my father was truly bent on killing you. You need to flee. You need to get out and keep yourself safe. And then in chapter 21, David and his men were hungry and received bread from the priests at Nob. And these same priests were later murdered by Saul for their kindness that they they showed to David. So David then made his first attempt. After that, he attempted to seek refuge for the first time. There were two times when he sought refuge in the land of Philistia. But again, when he realized they were too suspicious of him, and again, we looked at that last week, they certainly had reason to be, since he was the one who had many great victories over him, including killing their, uh, their champion Goliath many years before. And so David, at that, in this first occasion though, He pretended to be a madman so that he might escape danger. And the king of the Philistines said, I don't have any need of this. I have enough of my own madmen here in Philistine. I don't need this one. And so David was able to escape. But it was then that he returned to Israel and, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And it was a most discouraging time for David. And yet it was here that the Lord would strengthen him and give him great encouragement before the Lord would send the prophet Gad to David to warn him that Saul had discovered his location that has been compromised and he needs to once again uh, get up and go on the run. And so this situation seems to fit 
with what we see in Psalm 142. But as we mentioned earlier when we sang Psalm 57, Psalm 57 has the same occasion in that ancient title. And reading through that psalm in Psalm 142, we see various similarities. Again, David is looking to the Lord for refuge as he seeks the Lord's mercy for deliverance. And and enemies have surrounded him. They've laid traps for him. And David is greatly discouraged. He says in Psalm 57 that his soul is cast down. And here he mentions that his soul is brought very low. But a key difference between these two psalms is that Psalm 57 actually resounds with great joy and gladness, giving all praise and glory to God. But Psalm 142 only anticipates such a time of praise. Well, this likely indicates that Psalm 142 was actually written first. When David first entered the cave and before he received the encouragement that the Lord would send. And once he received that encouragement, then he wrote Psalm 57. Now, when you're hiding out from an enemy, a cave certainly may seem like the perfect place to hide. And again, for David, it it certainly was for a time. It it provided protection and and a a sense of, of comfort and refuge. But in many caves... There's often only one way in and one way out. And so if your pursuer, your enemy, knows that you're in the cave, well then that cave, which once seemed like a place of safety and refuge, quickly becomes and begins to feel like a prison. You're trapped. Now at this point, David hadn't yet known that Saul was aware of his position. This sense of feeling trapped with no place to go is what was overwhelming David. And he says in verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, he was feeling weak and weary. He was really close to giving up. For weeks he had been on the run from Saul, running for his life from one place to the next, even going into a foreign land. He could not find safety. And he was separated from his family, from his loved ones. He was driven from his home. Those he, he once led into battle as Saul's general had now turned against him and hunted him down as if he were a wild animal. The great hero of Israel was now a fugitive on the run. Friends were far and few between, and those that did befriend him, like the priest at Nob, paid a great penalty. And so David desired rest and peace from all this. Now, it's hard for us to imagine living such a life, constantly on the run to preserve our lives. Although this isn't likely our experience, how often have you felt overwhelmed by all that's going on in your life? Pressures from from work and stresses on your finances, tensions tensions in your relationships... And then, of course, add having to make big decisions about work, about school, about family. And then there's the onslaught of sudden illness or tragedy, accidents, social unrest, and concerns about what's going on in the world politically and culturally. It all begins to add up after a while. It can begin to feel like the walls are pressing in around you. 
as troubles come down and come in from various sides, one wave after another, and there seems to be no relenting in sight. So what do you do at such times? What did David do? He cried out to the Lord in prayer. Not just once, but repeatedly. Not just quietly in his heart, but even aloud, crying out with groans and cries for help. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. Note first repetition to emphasize really his his desperation. He cries out. He makes supplication. He pours out and declares to the Lord the trouble that he's experiencing. It's really, really bad. And secondly, as we noted earlier, he expresses his prayer verbally, right? Not just quietly in his heart. He's not off in a corner praying quietly. He's verbally with my voice and declaring. He's at the point of of drowning in these troubles that have swirled around him. And he's verbally expressing them. He can't contain the distress that he's dealing with. And it stirs within him, and he has to speak it out loud. And third, being in such a desperate situation, he acknowledges that he can't help himself. He's truly needy as he makes supplication, that as he's seeking the Lord's kindness and mercy to help, and and pouring out his complaint isn't isn't what we often think, right? that he's not just griping and moaning about it, But he's sharing his troubled thoughts. Perhaps about his coming demise that seems so certain to him if he doesn't get help soon. Because he can't save himself. Only the Lord can help him. And finally again, note that he holds nothing back. Right? He's cried out. He's poured out. And he's openly declared He hides nothing from the Lord, expressing all that's troubling his heart and soul. He gives it all in prayer to God. Putting it all out there. Sometimes in prayer we can can be reserved. We don't want to cause a scene. Friends, sometimes there's those times of distress when we can't but cry out to God. And make our prayers verbal prayers, not to boast, but because of the the depth of the anguish in our hearts and our souls. Now this is what David's done already. The first verses 1 and 2, this is a prayer he's he's already offered up at a time before. Because note how he speaks to the Lord in the third person. He's not uh, speaking directly to the Lord. He says, this is what I've done. And as he contemplates this, it's almost as if he's thinking, well, this is what I've done. What should I do now? Well, this then leads him to pray to the Lord again. Not as a a vain repetition, as if God can't hear him unless he speaks loudly and, and after many times. No, to further demonstrate his full dependence on the Lord. He continues to persevere in prayer to the Lord. 
His troubles are too much for him to bear. He's desperate and he needs the help of the Lord God. And he's committed himself to praying until he gets the Lord's answer. And again, this is what Jesus charges his disciples to do when he tells the parable of the, uh, the persistent widow who goes before the unjust judge. And the, the unjust judge finally relents because the widow is persistent. Well, that's, Jesus says that's how we're to be in prayer before the Lord, to be persistent, to show the Lord that we're serious about this. We truly can't help ourselves. That we go to Him in prayer again and again and again. Even if it's for the same thing. And again, sometimes we, we do a one and done prayer and think that's all we need to do. No, the Lord wants us to be persistent. He wants our whole heart in it. He wants to know that we're serious about His help and receiving His help that He desires to give us. And so we should be persistent in our prayers. And so in verse 3-7, to David speaks directly now to the Lord again to lay before Him again His petition and His cry for help. But first, he, he draws His attention to the areas where He's specifically struggling. And there are two. At first, the first, David isn't only overwhelmed with the current distress of being pursued constantly and feeling trapped, but he knows that there are dangers that are still yet ahead. A truth he's confident that even the Lord himself already knows. He says in verse 8, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. So David knows that there's still these dangers that lie ahead. He knows that Saul is fully committed to seeing his destruction. And that he's not going to rest until David is captured and killed. That was the warning that Jonathan had given to him. But David draws the Lord's attention to this. Knowing that the Lord already knows these things. Of course, because He's the omniscient, all-knowing God. And so we may wonder, well, why does David pray these things if the Lord already knows what He needs? Indeed, Jesus even asserted this same truth in Matthew 6, verse 8. He says, For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. And it's interesting, He mentions that right before teaching His disciples the Lord's Prayer. So do I, why do we ask? Why do we have to ask if God already knows? Again, because by asking the Lord, we demonstrate our full and complete dependence upon Him. But we should also note that it should give us great confidence. You see that if the Lord already knows our needs... And what we need before we ask, well then he also knows already that he has already planned and purposed the answer to our prayers. An answer that would be good and perfect and that would come at the perfect time for our good and his glory. But we pray to show our dependence on God. But he's already got it sorted out. Think about that. Beloved of God, the Lord knows your troubles. Not only the troubles that you experienced yesterday, not just the ones that you may endure today, 
but he already knows the troubles and trials that you're going to face tomorrow or next week or throughout the rest of your lives. He knows because even these troubles are under his sovereign hand. And we know because the word testifies to us that it's his God's purpose to use those troubles to work out his perfect plan to form and fashion us more into the image of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this is truth that we know. And so it should challenge you to trust the Lord as you cry out to him in prayer that he already has it all worked out. And so there's no need for you to worry your fret about it. You trust in him and depend upon him. And so find confidence in this great truth. The second key area that David struggles with is that he's isolated and all alone. He calls the Lord's attention to this, even saying in verse 4, Look, Lord, look, look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Now the right hand is the place of honor. It's where your most trusted friend would stand. And for, for David, that would be Jonathan. Well, Jonathan can't stand next to him because it would endanger both their lives. And so he's crying out to the Lord, Look, the space is empty. And not only this, but, but wherever he sought refuge on the earth, they've all failed. Friendships have been broken. Relationships have led to betrayal. And even this current hiding place seems like a prison. And so David's complaint is that no one cares for him. Now the reality is that we know David wasn't alone. Right? He had a small band of faithful men who were with him at the time. And, and yet the disruption that he's experienced in many of his relationships has seemingly caused him to really not trust anyone. Right? If you've been hurt enough times and betrayed enough times, well, the, it's going to be hard for you to trust others. So even though there are friends with him, he still feels alone and isolated. Now, overwhelming trouble can certainly have this effect on you. And even though you may actually have those around you who love and support you, well, stresses can be so intense that you just feel all alone. You see, because what's happening isn't necessarily happening to them, but only to you. And the burden of trouble is seemingly falling all on your shoulders when they're continuing to live their lives just fine. Now if you've ever felt like that, you know it can be isolating. Again, even if the reality is that you're not alone. Because what we sense and feel, our emotions can often lead us astray. And so this is what was happening with David, even though he had people around him, because of the disruptions in the relationship, because of everything that was happening, he was the one being pursued, not them. He felt alone and isolated. And so David calls the Lord's attention to this danger and, and this loneliness, and then it's as if he himself then looks to his right. 
And he realizes that he's not alone. That the Lord is with him. In verse 5, I cried to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. And again, so this then gives David great confidence. He confesses that the Lord is his refuge, his safe place, and the source of his comfort and strength. See, his king Saul has failed him. And many of his fellow soldiers have failed him. Even Jonathan has failed him, not intentionally. But again, he can't be a refuge for David because the two must remain separated lest they both come into danger. And even the cave that he's currently in has failed to provide the safety and rest he so desires. Everything he's looked to on the earth has failed him. But the Lord is by his side. The Lord is his refuge, his place of rest and safety. Secondly, he confesses that the Lord is is his portion in the land of the living. That is, the Lord is his inheritance. And remember that, that David had to flee his home. And again, he's already attempted to find a place of refuge among the Philistines, but there was no portion for him there. And constantly on the run, he has no home, he has no portion to call his own. But the Lord is his portion. The Lord is his permanent home. The Lord is and will be his eternal inheritance. So though his situation hasn't changed, David is strengthened as he recalls these truths. Beloved of God, what a great challenge for us as well. That in the midst of these, those overwhelming trials and struggles, as our emotions get swept away and, and lead us off the path, remember the truths and the promises of God's Word. He is our refuge. He's an immovable rock and a fortress that we can flee to in our times of distress. We can find rest and safety in His everlasting arms. He's our portion our inheritance, our home. He's all that we need. And so we ought to cling to Him by faith. And so with regained confidence, David now returns to his prayer and he sets forth the request of his petition. In verse 6, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison. And you see here there are three key requests that David makes. First, he prays that the Lord would hear his prayer. The prayer that he's cried out in anguish. It's not, again, that David doesn't believe that the Lord hasn't heard him already. As we've seen, the Lord already knows before he asked what he needed. And so calling the Lord to hear or listen to prayer is a way to let the Lord know the desperation and the neediness of our own hearts and souls. That as we pray, it's like, Lord, we want an answer. We want it soon. And so calling the Lord to hear us expresses our own weaknesses. That we may not be able to last much longer unless the Lord responds. And David clarifies this when he says, I am brought very low. He's in a very, very bad spot. He feels like he's fading away. And so he prays the Lord, listen 
Attend to my prayer. Hear my cries. And bring an answer soon. Well, it's here that we find the echo of the experience of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As David in this psalm stands as a type of Christ. So that his prayer is ultimately the prayer of Jesus. Remember after Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Last Supper, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane to to pray. And there in in Matthew 26, Jesus, uh, we read this, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus was saying, My soul is being brought very low, even to the point of death. And of course, remember that time that as Jesus prayed in anguish, his disciples couldn't even stay awake to pray with him for his comfort. And so the danger and the loneliness that David experiences in this psalm, again, ultimately is the experience of Jesus. And the second request that David makes, deliver me from my persecutors, also echoes the prayer of Jesus when he prayed out in the garden, let this cup pass from me. David was looking for deliverance from his enemies, from Saul who was trying to kill him. Jesus was looking for deliverance from the cross and from the hands of the evil men who would put him to death. Likewise, David's third request, bring my soul out of prison, that is the prison of his distress and even the prison that this cave has, has come to be for him. Jesus' prayer to the Father in the garden that night before his death was truly a cry to be liberated from the curse of death that would soon come upon him. But what was Christ's resolve? Remember he said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus cried out and he made his heart's desire known to the Heavenly Father and then he submitted himself to the Father's will so that our salvation would be accomplished by his death on the cross. And God did hear Jesus' prayer when he set him free from the prison of the grave and raised him from the dead on the third day so that our salvation might then be made secure and the victory made certain. Lord heard the prayer of Jesus and brought freedom from death and the curse of death. But what about David? Well, having been boosted by his confidence in the promises of God, David now closes his prayer with what amounts to be a prophecy, looking forward to a time in the future when the Lord would deliver him and would and what would happen at that time. First, David knows that he'll be delivered for a purpose. Verse 7, that I may praise your name. Now, David will be moved to praise and worship the Lord and bring glory to his name, fulfilling the chief end of all mankind to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the Lord gives us his grace and strengthen us, strengthens us to endure the various trials that we face. We ought to be moved to worship and glorify Him even as we do when we reflect upon how He's been abundantly gracious toward us and has delivered us from the condemnation of sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ. David looks forward to praising God's name and indeed we can say that Psalm 57 
is the result of that praise, is, is the, the giving of that praise. O oh, be exalted high, O oh God, above the heavens stand, and let your glory be above all earth, both sea and land. That's the fulfillment of David's prophecy here. A second prophecy is that David is confident that he would be delivered to a people, to, to friends. He will walk with him and encourage him. He says, the righteous shall surround me. And not long after David wrote this psalm, the Lord answered his prayers. We read in 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, that is, that he, they heard he was in the cave of Adullam, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So he went from the small band now to a, a, a good-sized group of over 400 people. What's alone and distressed? David was suddenly encouraged by the arrival of his family and a whole host of supporters who looked to Him to lead them. In the same way, beloved of God, look at those whom the Lord has surrounded you with. This body of Christ. So that you can be encouraged. So that you can be built up in your walk of faith. You are not alone. And that it truly is a great encouragement and ought to be a great encouragement to us. Finally, David looks to a time when he would be delivered with abundant blessings from the Lord. He says, For you shall deal bountifully with me. David knows the Lord will not only be gracious to him, but will abundantly bless him far beyond than he could possibly imagine. He knows this because these blessings are rooted in the promises of God's word. That the Lord is for us at all times. A sure and certain refuge. That we can flee to Him looking for safety and rest from the storms of life that we face. That we can be comforted by His Spirit through His Word and also through the faithful body of believers into which He's placed us. These are bountiful blessings because not only do we get to enjoy them now in this life we shall enjoy the fullness of God's promises as we stand in His glorious presence forever and ever. Beloved of God, find your refuge then in the Lord. Look to Him to save and deliver you, to preserve and protect you, to sustain you and carry you through whatever it is that you may be enduring, whatever trials and suffering and, and challenges you may be enduring in this life. Look for your refuge in the Lord God alone. Find your refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him alone. And you will not be disappointed. Not now. And certainly not in all eternity to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for the great encouragement of your word and the reminders that you have given to us to seek you out in prayer in our time of need. You are our refuge and our inheritance. You are our hope, our deliverer, the one who's freed us from condemnation and death. 
and that you still have many more bountiful blessings to bestow upon us. Father, that this all was accomplished for us through Jesus Christ, who suffered many things, who was surrounded by enemies, who was put to death because of our sin. And he paid that penalty, enduring the wrath and curse, your wrath and curse that only we deserved, Christ endured for us, so that we might be your holy ones, so that we might stand in your glorious and holy presence and have the assurance of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Father, what a glorious blessing it is. And we pray that you would help us to remind us of these things when we go through those times of difficulty and trials and some perhaps here are going through those times even right now, perhaps even some secretly, not wanting to uh, bring that forward. But but certainly there are many challenges we face, even sins that we're tempted by, the constant assaults of the evil one pressures and strains in our lives but you are our refuge and our hope jesus is our rock and our salvation may you give us the grace and the power of your spirit to fully trust in him and depend upon him that we might be saved all to the glory and honor and praise of your holy name we pray all these things in the name of the lord jesus christ amen